Thanks. Good morning. Well, I guess this morning, um, obviously, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And just like, you know, here in the United States, we have things like uh, the National Day of Prayer. We have See You at the Pole um, for our new school students to go out and pray around the flagpole. Today, uh, around the world, is uh, believers are coming together and praying for the persecuted church. So last year was the first I had ever heard of it. I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of this or not. I know I think I heard it once on WGATL here coming up recently. But anyways... Um, as you know, back in September, we had Darcy Gill from Voice of the Martyrs. She was here, and uh, she did a fantastic job um, sharing her heart for the, for the lost, for the persecuted, for the church, and uh, going around the world and just giving you a snapshot of what goes on in various countries, and even you know, in our country as well. Um, so I don't want to do the same thing she did, but as I was thinking and praying about, okay, you know, what am I going to talk about, and you know, what, from what angle am I going to take this, really... For myself, when I th- sit down to pray for the persecuted church and pray for believers around the world, sometimes I'm at a loss because I don't know what to say. I know they're going through extremely hard times, but for me, in my life, i got to admit, I have not suffered very much at all. I mean, suffering, and when we think of a persecuted church, we're thinking of, like this Bible verse says down here, Hebrews 13.3, uh, says, Remember them that are in bonds is bound with them, and it goes on to talk about those who suffer adversity suffer with them, because we're all one body. And we think of those who are being deprived, those whose homes are being destroyed. And we think of the terrorists who come in and take, burn down their churches, and they're in prison receiving beatings and sometimes um, suffering and possibly dying. But, you know, as well, we also suffer. Sometimes we forget, we can't relate to that. But Jesus told us that in Matthew 10 that we would suffer. And the Bible talks about suffering all throughout. And we know that we're called, even in our own lives here in America, we might suffer different ways. Whereas rejection, family, Jesus tells us family will reject us. It might be, um, it can vary, very various forms. It could come in the form of job pressure. Um, so whatever, suffering takes place, and I don't only want to focus on other countries, I want to focus on us here as well, because whether we realize it or not, persecution happens here in the United States each and every day as well, and I think as time goes on and we watch a political scene, it's going to increase. Um, so I guess to start off, um, where's my outline? Here it is. To start off, um, as way of introduction, um, today what I just want to do is share my heart, um, things that God has taught me, how he's kicked me around a little bit in the last year and a half. Uh, I'm trying to think, about five to seven years ago, I forget the time frame, but how many of you guys are familiar with Christopher Boda? Okay, a little over half, two-thirds maybe. Uh, he came to our church to speak, and I know from what my memory, if my memory is correct, is he was first affiliated with Encounter Revival Ministries, and they introduced us to Christopher. And if you don't know who Christopher is, he is a man from India, he's a pastor, and he also runs an orphanage with one or two thousand children there. And he has an awesome, awesome ministry. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. But I got to admit, when he first came here, I was very skeptical of him. Uh, I had never experienced anything like he had before. And then what he had done is he, got his, he shared his testimony. And if you were here for that, you might remember that he had a picture book. And he had this picture book out. And then I started thinking, okay, the guy's a foreigner. He's breaking out a picture book. Okay, now we're going to have an offering after this or what? And I started to get a little skeptical. And then in his testimony, he started sharing how he got saved at a camp. And then when he came home from this camp, his father, I believe he was a Hindu, um, he practically beat him to death. And I wanted to believe the guy. And I did believe the guy, but I still had that, my reservations. Because I can tend to be critical of everything I hear, which I think is a good thing. 
within reason, but I just wasn't buying it. I mean, I bought it, don't get me wrong, but I just struggled with it. But then as I got to know Christopher, um, we had a thing for a missions conference one year at the Zegers at their uh, business. I got to talk to him. I got to know his son, Vinay, a little bit through people like Jason Jordan and my brother um, who served on Encounter. So now I understand what Christopher's all about. His ministry is fantastic. In fact, if you think of it, pray for him. Um, I was on his website just here as I was, since I knew I was going to mention him. His website was hacked. So uh, it was very scary looking. There was a it's all in Arabic writing. It says this has been hacked and got a guy in the jihad um, getup on there. So I pray for Christopher and his ministry. But anyways, what I came to learn as a result is even in the last year and a half, God has really just opened my eyes to what's going on in other countries around the world as far as persecution goes. And really, I realized Christopher's story is more than common. In fact, it's every day. Uh, if you think geography here, um, see, that's what I teach. I teach social studies, so we're going to have a geography lesson. But um, if you look at the globe, there's a 1040 window, 10 degrees south to 40 degrees north, and the majority of the Earth's population lives here. We live in the 1040 window. Now, think numbers. We have a little under 300 million people living in the United States, and I don't know what the statistic is on how many are true believers in Christ. But either ways, 300 million people, let's just go with that. Now, you think of countries like China and India, who have well over a billion in their population, where those countries together, there's more people, more Christians in those nations than our whole country. Then we can go on and look at North Africa and Europe and so on, and those are the nations where persecution is hot and heavy. I mean, the fire is on. It's game time. And those are the nations that are in that. So when you think about it, even though over here in the United States, we are the majority, we're really the minority as far as the church is concerned. And sometimes I think, well, I, my, for me, I even know for myself, that I don't get it because I've never encountered this stuff. So the best I can do is educate myself and pray and uh, advocate for the persecuted and make others aware. And that's what we need to do. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. So also today is way of introduction. Um, we sang some songs um, up here. Jesus paid it all. I surrender all. And a couple weeks back, I, we sang I surrender all. And I said to Will, I said, hey, can we do that again today? Because about a month ago when we sang that, the words just kind of slapped me. Because when we sing that, and I, just judge for yourself, this is where I'm, where I'm at. When I sing the words, I don't often understand what they're saying because the word all, if you look it up in Webster's, I think the definition should just say all. I mean, this says it all, right? It'd probably say, I don't know, everything and whatever. But the word all means all. And for me, I often think of, well, I surrender my life. I want to serve God. You know, I want to get up and teach other people. I want to be faithful at my job and witness to people. Amen, that's good. But what does all mean? You know, do we come from the mindset of these areas? And I just pick three. What are our jobs? I mentioned jobs a second ago. You know, for me, I teach middle school in the public school system. And we know they've got that whole separation of church and state thing going on. And it can be kind of scary. I know I have coworkers, and they say, man, you talk about that in class? Well, yeah, I, I'm fortunate I teach history, so I have a little leeway. And praise God I do that. I mean, I have that opportunity to do that. Um, but, you know, there's a day coming where I'm going to say something. And some kid's going to take it home. And I'm going to get a parent phone call. Or they're going to take it above my head. And I'm going to have to answer for it. I don't know. And maybe the administrators are going to go on that. But either way, I can't, for me, in my own conscience, i got to speak the truth. And I don't know if that's going to affect my job. Could. For me, 
in my circumstance, I'm confident God will provide, but these next two hit me hard. Okay? What about our homes? When we sing, I surrender, are we willing to surrender our homes? For me, I take great pride in my home. I like my home. Dan and Michelle, thank you. I bought my home from them. Okay? But it's a place I'm comfortable. I mean, we think of our homes. Man, when you go in someone's home, you're invading their space. That's, in a sense, who they are, what they claim to be. And for me, I mean, that's the thing I take great pride in. I look at other nations where they're bombing their churches, burning their homes down. I, that would be hard. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I have not arrived where I need to be, but... You know, those of you who went on a Guatemala trip, I admire you guys because where I'm at, now I could make excuses. I got two little kids and my job won't let me. But sometimes, you know, what it comes down to is, am I too comfortable even leave my home for two weeks to go serve? So that hits me hard. Do I love my home too much? The last one is what really hits me. And this is what crossed my mind when we sang um, I Surrender All Month Ago, is what about our family and our kids? And uh, that's the one that just really is tough. Because do we love our family and our kids more than we love the Lord? On uh, summer vacation this year, my uh, family, we go down to Virginia uh, most years, and I was talking to my dad, and we're re- I forget even how the conversation got started. But uh, I told him, I said, you know, Dad, I'm not there. If you don't know, I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. And I said, Dad, I don't know what I'd do. I said, if, you know, I, praise God, in the United States, we have these freedoms. And we shouldn't feel guilty because we live here, because God, God put us here. He put us here to be missionaries in the United States, to support those people who don't have the resources they have. But I don't know that I'm there. You know, what if the government, let's just say we live in China. You know, you can't educate. I'm not making this stuff up, okay? I thought people did in the past, too. But under the age of 18, you can't teach a kid about God, about Jesus. Now you're corrupting the minors. You can have your children taken away in countries like Iran if you're going to be a Christian because it's a Muslim nation, government-sanctioned. You can't do these things. So what if they would come take my kids away? Would I recant? Would I say, you know what, God? I know you understand just this one time. So I said that to my dad, and he's like, you know? He said, that's a tough question, but he said, you got to trust God on that one. He said, because, uh, how do you say it? He basically, long I forget his exact words, but he said, you entrusted those kids to God. When you dedicated them here at Garden Chapel on those Mother's Days, you gave them to God. And you know what? The same Holy Spirit that worked in you to bring you to salvation, if, they, if somebody takes those kids away from you, that same Holy Spirit is going to work in your heart, I mean in their heart, to bring them to himself as well. Amen, right? But we don't think that way because we like to have control. And in my life, I like control. I like to be comfortable. And so really, what I want to talk about today is, yes, we're going to talk about prayer. That's coming at the end. But how do we pray for the persecuted church? Before we're able to do that effectively, I strongly believe that we've got to have a proper perspective. We've got to have our heads screwed on straight. Because we can pray for them that, God, please deliver them, get them out of prison, ease their suffering. But, and that's how I started off praying. I still do pray that way. Yet, if you look at what the Apostle Paul says in Scripture, that wasn't his first prayer. And we're going to look at that here coming up. So if you guys would, let's turn, um, first of all, let's go to Matthew chapter 19. And uh, what we're going to look at here is uh, probably the biggest thing in the last year and a half where God has really taken and slapped me around a little bit and kind of helped me. Well, I'm still learning this. So in Matthew 19, we're going to read verses 16 through 26. All right, and he said, it says, And behold, 
One came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And he said, Well, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept. What else am I lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. and You shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This scripture here that we read, um, Jesus is obviously talking about salvation. But at the same time, even when you're saved, you still can get something out of that. When you look at what Jesus tells this rich young guy, is he gives them some commandments. You shall not murder. Honor your parents. Well, hey, I've done that. You know, what else am I lacking? And what, well, Jesus already knew where the guy's mind was. He already knew the guy had idols in his life. And that was his money, his riches. The guy was way too comfortable. Because what Jesus told him to do is sell those things. Prove to me that you love me more than what you have and follow me. And basically, his last words were, come follow me. So I need to ask myself, am I doing this? And it's really easy here in America, and again, I can't say there's anything wrong with it. It's where we are, but it's really easy here in America. We're comfortable. This is our home. We have a lot of comforts. We have the money to meet our basic needs. So sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this, I don't step out. I don't do what I need to do. And there's times where I need to come before God and confess that, you know what? I've made a graven image before God in my own life, that there are other guys before him. You know, and sometimes we need to ask ourselves those things. Because if we have other things that come first before God, then that's going to hinder our prayer life and our relationship with Him. And our prayers are not going to be as effective as they could be. So this is an area right here where God really has kind of opened my eyes up to putting Him first, number one. So um, I guess in that same vein here, what I have is a video clip. And this video clip uh, is put out by Voice of the Martyr. It's about five minutes long. And what it's going to do is it's going to take you through... Uh, it's a true story. It's, gonna t- it's about a girl named Sarah, which is her... Uh, not her real name. It'll have her real name on the screen. But she was a... Uh, new- she worked for a newspaper. She's a believer. And you're going to see uh, what happened to her and her testimony. So I'll let it speak for itself. And then uh, I'll pick up there. We want um, Sarah's story, the first one. It may seem strange to consider, but persecuted Christians present a special gift to the body of Christ. Through their example, we can see the glory of our Savior and the enduring treasure he grants us in our time of need. And when you share in their suffering, you also partake of their courage. 
As our founder, Richard Wormbrand, often stated, hands chains can bless well. Thank you for remembering today's persecuted church. I for what I would go through that night. The Bible says, do not fear. I have read this many times. But tonight, I would be very afraid. The soldiers did not ask questions. They do not tell me why or where they are taking me. I am still in my pajamas. I feel humiliated and completely helpless. I have been arrested before, but this is not an arrest, and I'm not being brought to the police station. I quickly realize they have more than questions for me. so alone. All I can hear is my heartbeat. And with every beat, the sound grows louder, and I become more afraid. They have a document for me to sign. It is a confession and a statement against my friends. I refuse to sign and silently pray the night will go by quickly. The guard is angry. His face is full of rage and I become his victim. I try not to give in, but the pain is overbearing. I repeat Bible verses to myself. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm beaten on my feet 
and other places on my body. I scream in pain, wondering if anyone will hear me, if anyone can help me. Would signing the document be so wrong? And if it was, wouldn't God forgive me? Is over. My legs are chained, and I'm forced to walk. The guards are bored, and they pass the night watching me, forcing me to walk back and forth through the night. Alone with my chains, I walk. Has begun to slow. I begin to wish I have signed the document. I cry out to God to give me strength, and wonder how much more I can endure. Hours have passed when I notice the footprints on the floor. They are my footprints, and they have been made from walking in the trail of my own blood. I think of Christ and how he was beaten before walking to Golgotha. How he must have also left a trail of his own blood. He. Also was hated by this world. In a small way, I now suffer for him. I am not alone. I am with Christ, who walked this path for me, and this gives me the courage to go on. Intent there um, wasn't to have an emotional um, thing. I know it somewhat can't be helped, but um, I want you guys to have a picture there of a person in, an ex- in here in an extreme case. Which again, a lot of times when we live in that 10:40 window, we're the minority here. This is stuff that goes on each and every day in other parts of the world, and we don't often think that way. But Sarah here in this case. She literally, in her own unique experience there, with the trail of blood, she had she fellowshiped in Christ's sufferings. We have we have that opportunity to fellowship in Christ's sufferings and to go through and um, follow Him, um, and that's not easy. But the other thing that she said, which really struck me, and I might not get her words exactly right, but she basically was questioning: Was I right for not signing the document? She said, I kind of wished I had signed it for this moment. And when she was thinking that way, she said, you know, I think Jesus would understand. 
And oftentimes, you know what? I think Jesus would understand, wouldn't he? He would understand because he's been there. But at the same time, that wasn't Jesus' words. Because when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was coming, Jesus said, not my will, Father, but thy will be done. And he went and he walked that trail. And he's the one who paid the price for our sin at Calvary. And he did that willingly, knowing what was coming. So he willingly suffered. And that's the good news, because we have that. I hope that's an encouragement to us. But at the same time, Jesus tells us in many different areas that we are also called to do the same thing. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. We are supposed to be doing these, living our life for God's glory. So that brings me to uh, my next point here. So let's go ahead and uh, turn in our Bibles to John chapter 12. And we're looking at verses 23 through 28. While you're turning there, just a little context. Um, This is where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry there. And as he's uh, in Jerusalem, there's some Greeks who are coming up to see Jesus. So Andrew, the disciple, and Philip, they come up to Jesus and they tell him that these Greeks are here to see him. And the funny thing about Jesus is sometimes his responses aren't what you think. You're like, okay, well tell him, hold on a second, I'll be right there, right? Here's his response. Jesus says to them, to Andrew and Philip. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Let me stop there. Jesus understood the principle of the wheat there. Okay? He understood about seeds and how they work. And then when he would die, give his life up, the fruit, the payoff will be huge. And here we are today for those of us who trusted in Jesus. Now, I'm not a farmer. Okay? I don't know about wheat, but I do garden a little bit, so I can talk about green beans. All right? So here's what I know about green bean seeds. is When you plant a green bean in the ground, the plant comes up, you're going to get a yield, and you're going to get more pods than you put in the ground. You even put a full pod in. You put one seed from the pod. But when you eat the green bean, they're still living. The seeds aren't fully mature or fully developed. It's good to eat, but it's not right for the plant to be productive. So when you get your seeds, if you want it to go the whole way to seed, the pods are going to get bigger, the seeds are going to swell, and you have to let the plant die. Then you stick the seed in the ground, and then when you put it in, there's where you get your return. And Jesus understood this principle, and he was willing to do the will of the Father and to go to the cross and to give up his life so that his will would be done. Isn't it cool that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all one? They're all accomplishing the same purpose and will. Um, But then moving on here. Jesus says in 25, He who loves his, loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, Glorify thy name. And when Jesus asked that, save me from this, he's asking a question here. But we know that when he was in the garden, he was asking God, you know, is this what I need to go through? But his whole point was, Father, glorify thy name. And, again, we have the same purpose as Christ. I'm going to read you a verse. Um, you, you can turn there if you'd like. If not, it's okay. I, I'm just going to read it off a of paper. Um, 1 Peter 4.1. The Apostle Peter says to us, he says, Therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh... 
Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has seized from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. I like that, where Peter says, arm yourselves with the same purpose. Jesus is our general. He's been there, he's done that, and he's succeeded. And he's the one who we follow, and we're supposed to take up arms every day. We mean Ephesians 6 has a spiritual armor. We do that every day. Do we arm ourselves, though, to suffer for God, no matter how small or how big it may be? But then, why are we doing this? We're doing it for the will of God. So I've spent the majority of my time today painting a picture, trying to put this into perspective as to what believers around the world go through and where their mind is at as they suffer and as they're in prison and as you know the story of Sarah and I could talk we could talk all day but that's what Darcy did so that's not my purpose but let's go now and since it is the international day of prayer for the persecuted church let's talk about prayer you know how are we supposed to pray for those who are suffering so let's go ahead and turn in Ephesians chapter 6 just mention that and we're going to look at verse uh, 18 through 20 And we know that the uh, Apostle Paul, uh, he was a prisoner. So these writings are from him, uh, and these are the things that he uh, experienced firsthand. And I think that through looking at the heart of Paul, we can truly get a picture of what believers would want. You know, and I would pray for myself that if I'm in these circumstances, this is my heart, that this is how I want people to pray for me. So here's what he says in verse 18. He says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times, in the Spirit... And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. You notice that um, Paul didn't say, pray for me, I'm hungry. Pray for me, I'm cold and tired, and I'd like to get out of prison and hang out with you guys sometime. So it's been a while. Which I'm sure he felt had those. I mean, we know he's expressed, you know, as you go on then, in verse 21, he talks, hey, my circumstances are holding me up. You know, here's how I'm doing. You know, he wants to fellowship, but his main concern is, first of all, that we are alert. We know what's going on around us. That we educate ourselves. Because we, we know we have an enemy who prowls around, okay, seeking who he's going to devour. And then, that enemy being Satan. And, uh, but here he says then, also pray for all the saints. Pray for us. Pray on my behalf. You know, his main goal was that he'd have the words to speak to those who he came in contact with, that he might make known the mystery of the gospel that might not be made a mystery anymore. That he could clearly communicate the word of God to the people who he's around. Because, man, I'll tell you, the people who do are in prison for their faith around the world... I've heard some really cool stories about just how there's even prison meetings and churches right in there. And the, um, their captors, the jailsmen, the jailmen, you know what I mean, the guards, they end up getting saved. And they hear as a result. So God uses these circumstances okay, to glorify his name. Let's turn again because I'm running out of time. Um, let's turn to Philippians 1, which is the next page over for me. Uh, verses 12 through 14. Again, the Apostle Paul um, 
prisoner of the Lord. Here's what he says in verse 12 through 14. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian say that word fast, praetorian guard into everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Wow, God used his imprisonment. You know, Paul recognized, he had his head screwed on straight, as I said earlier, that he knew what his purpose was. He knew that the gospel was spreading. He knew that people knew of him, not only to pray for him, but they knew of his circumstance, that he was suffering and serving the Lord where he was. And also, people came to know Jesus as a result of Paul's imprisonment. We know that because he says that these people, then, the, well, how does he say it exactly? He says, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And I'll tell you, man, I don't want to idolize these people who suffer and are in the most extreme circumstances because we, idolize, we, we don't idolize God. We worship God, that's what I meant. We worship God. He's the one we serve. But yet their testimonies in my life are so powerful when I look and read what they're going through. Because, man, that's where I want to be. Okay? And they're serving God with a whole heart because they have not, are not wavering in their faith. So I don't want to set them up too high, but at the same time, they're a good example for us to follow. And that encourages us and encourages me to share our faith. I mean, here, I mean, we have freedom to do that. But to share our faith without fear because of what they're doing for God, for the church. And then also... On then in verses 19 through 21. He says, For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance. There you see. So he is concerned with his deliverance. It's not wrong to pray for that. He says, I, I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you know, the big thing there for me is not being put to shame. Man, I tell you, when we suffer, we got, well, people aren't our enemies, okay? But Satan uses people, doesn't he? Okay, people need to get saved, but our ultimate enemy is Satan, who's the enemy of God. But when we suffer at the hands of people because of our faith, it's because they want to see us mess up. They want to say, look at you. And Satan wants to do the same thing and steal the glory away from God. So when we think of these people in prison, praise God, she didn't sign the letter, right? Because she gave glory to God in that. But that's what they want us to do, is to show that we're weak. To show that we are not going to stand for Christ. And that's, I think, Paul's heart is, man, we need to pray for these people because who knows what circumstances they're in. Let's pray that they're not put to shame. That they honor and glorify God in all that they do. And then he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, uh, I guess having said all that, um, how do we pray for the persecuted church? Um, to sum things up here, I've got two minutes left. So, uh, if you guys could throw that last slide on the board uh, or on the screen up there. I read a book. Uh, Josh McMahon had given me a book that I guess all of the middle school and high school students at Mount Calvary uh, were required to read. And it's called Safely Home. And without, if you ever want to read it, I don't want to totally steal the plot, but I kind of got to give you a little bit of a picture. Is It's about persecution. In China, the country itself, which China is a very interesting country to study, too. But uh, there's two main characters. There's Ben, who's an American hotshot businessman from the West Coast. He uh, knows God, but, I don't believe, but he's not saved. Okay? He's a professor, in the sense where he professes to know Christ. And then you also have Quan, who is a Chinese believer. 
And these guys were, went, both went to Harvard back in, when they were in college, and they're bu old buddies. Well, here, a business trip takes Ben to China, because it's where he does business, and he's going to hang out with his buddy, Quan. To go jump fast forward in the story, um, Quan is witnessing to his buddy throughout the whole novel, but now in the end, Quan's now in prison. Since Ben's a big shot, he's got some bucks. He's able to bribe the guards to get in to see his pal. And throughout the story, he also comes to know the Lord, which is a pretty cool part in the story. Um, but then at the end, as a result of um, Ben coming to know Christ, his whole mindset changes. And he starts worshiping with the believers there who don't worship in the government-sanctioned areas and do what the government tells them to do because that's going to totally change what or how they worship. And it's not going to be true worship. So what they do is they kick him out of the country. They say, you got three days and you're gone. So Ben knows. He takes one last visit, bribes the guards. He says, Quan, he says, I'm going back to America. He tells him what happened. I kicked out. What do you want me to say? So now this is a fictional story. I realize this. But I think the author captured the heart of the persecuted church. He captured the heart of the Apostle Paul from what we just read. And I think this is a good way to sum this up. So what he said is, Quan says to Ben, he says, Tell them if they wish to help. Send us Bibles and pray for us. Pray for those witnessing our suffering. Pray that those witnessing our suffering will see that Zhu Yesu, or Jesus, must be real in order to sustain us. Pray that the rotten prison food will actually taste good to us. He has performed this miracle for me many times. Pray that the rags we prisoners wear in winter will keep us warm. Pray that the beatings and torture will not weaken us, but strengthen us in our faith, and that the enemy will not overcome us and our families with despair and discouragement. Pray that the prisons all across China will become centers of revival, and that Christians and registered churches will be bold, and that house churches will be invisible to the police, but visible to everyone else. And pray that our sons and daughters will not be ashamed of their fathers and mothers in prison. And um, I guess on the note of closing, that last one, we always look to the future generation to carry the torch, don't we? That's huge. When I read that, that's what sealed that paragraph in my mind that I didn't forget it. And that's the most special paragraph in that book for me. Because right there, you see the tactic of the enemy, and it's ugly. That works me up. So forgive me if I get a little emotional here. But think of it. What if you're a kid, and you're in a foreign country, and your dad's in prison, and he refuses to recant his faith? You're embarrassed because your dad is a loser in prison. He's not able to provide for you, so now the, you're not going to be provided for. What if you're, there's no mother? Now the kids are taken out. Good old dad left me out hang, hanging, the, or whatever, left me hanging out to dry. There's a war out there. And I'll tell you, Satan is using kids. And we can talk about that in another sermon. But the thing is, right there, pray for the kids because he wants to put parents to shame. And when he puts the parent to shame, he's putting God to shame. So we have a big God, and I'm confident. So I don't mean to depress you, okay? Because actually, in a weird sense, this is encouraging stuff for me to talk about, okay? Um, but we have a big God. We have a God who's bigger than the enemy. So let's praise God for that, and I encourage you to pray um, for the persecuted church. So let's go ahead and uh, close in prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you for this time. We just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that we know what the end of the book says, Lord, that um, you are victorious. But God, uh, right now, today, we just uh, lift up um, your church here and abroad. And we pray for those who suffer, God. We just uh, lift them up to you. We pray that in their, in your, in, uh, their life, Lord, that you receive honor and glory. 
And Lord, that they would just uh, um, take time and just uh, seek after you. Lord, give them boldness. Strengthen them. Strengthen their families. Lord, be with the children, Lord, that they would follow you. That your spirit would work in their hearts. And Lord, I pray that you just dismiss us today, Lord, that we be faithful and not sin against them and bring them before, them, bring them before you in prayer. In your name, amen.